Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, November 10th, and welcome to the Pop Culture Over Pizza podcast. My name is Walter, and this is the podcast where we talk about everything geeky and pop culture over pizza. Our pizza party this week is going to be a little light. That means we'll have extra pizza slices as leftovers because our regular host, Jose, is out this week. So I'm going to try and step into his considerable shoes to try and host this show. The other person that's out is ASAP Balrog. He is out with his brothers in arms prepping for the Veterans Day parade this weekend. Um, And since we are a couple of days out from Veterans Day, I would just like to take this chance to say thank you to all our veterans and all our soldiers that are currently out there. Um, Please be safe, and we thank you for your service. Anyway, so getting along with the show, um, we do have Metatron here. Yo, how you guys doing? And we are also bringing back, fresh off of a great quick slice talking about Fortnite, Elias. What's Gucci, fam? Hello, fellow listeners. Sorry about that before. My vessel took control for a second. The Metatron is back. Yay. Um, before We're going to be getting into the news segment of the week. Um, just, to, just to start off, um, it's been a rather uneventful week, sadly, but we were able to find a few things that we could talk about. Walt, would you do the honors? Sure. So we're, we're going to get right into it here. Um, we're going to do it a little bit differently here. We're just going to go on a rundown of the news items, and if there's anything that strikes your fancy here, guys... Just pop right in and let's talk about it. So first up on the list, we have an Xbox special event that occurred today, XO18, where they announced a bunch of stuff, including Crackdown 3. Crunchyroll and Funimation's partnership ended officially as of Friday, November 9th. Marvel had a Twitter um, poll they held a battle royal to see who is the strongest Marvel character in their universe. Nice. And over on the streaming service, Matt, the Mandalorian has a new cast member, Carl Weathers from Creed and Predator. And lastly, CEO Bob Iger officially has announced what the new Disney streaming service is going to be. And... A timetable. So, guys, what is it about this news that strikes you? Crackdown 3. That has me pretty excited. Now, what I say next, I I don't take lightly, okay? I haven't played Crackdown 2 yet. Guys, don't 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 rip me to shreds here. Come on. Be a little be a little nice. That's okay. But I did yeah. play Crackdown 1 to the very end. And boy, that was a kicker. So, I'm curious to see what's in store for Crackdown 3. So am I. It's going to be pretty crazy. Crackdown 2 I did play, and so you're not missing anything. It had something to do with zombies and weird things of that nature. So, yeah, your face says it all, you know. And it's interesting because with this announcement of Crackdown 3, over on the Xbox side, you can now download the original Crackdown for free. Wow. Okay. So anybody that wants to revisit it, if you have an Xbox One, you can go back, grab a copy of the original Crackdown, and I believe it was enhanced. So it'll be it'll look leave it a little better than 
the one on Xbox 360. So, okay, Crackdown One. Like oh, yep, Crackdown One. So I haven't really played Crackdown One, but I I've seen my dad play that before. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like really cool. Like you you can be so overpowered, and it's just crazy. You want to know what I did? I complete. I didn't completely max out everything, but I was so powerful to the point where I could leap on top of buildings and go from building to building, Hulk style. And I was so strong. I maxed out my strength output that I could kick around cars like they were toys. <laughs> yeah, the great the great thing about Crackdown is that you could follow the story, but then again, you can also go around the city just doing utter mayhem, just blowing up stuff. The only the yeah. only bad thing about it is that as you created more mayhem, the police would come after you and make it a little bit difficult. But if you were as OP as Metatron said he was, yep. did it really matter? No, I don't think it does. No you know. That's that was a pretty fun game. Hopefully, Crackdown Three will go back to the original roots of the first game and not revisit the second game. Um, I don't know. Is there a trailer out for Crackdown Three? Because Crackdown Three has been in development for quite a while. Um, there was somewhat of a trailer. Like before we uh, came to meet. There was actually this really funny Terry Crews trailer. That guy is so awesome when it comes to trailer. If you guys don't know him, um, well, how do you not know him, first of all? Second of all, he used to do the Old Spice commercials also. So uh. you can kind of see elements of that in this trailer, <laughs> like the complete wackiness. It was just so great. Yeah. But as far as gameplay goes, I haven't seen anything of that nature yet. It's surprising that we haven't seen any any gameplay yet because this thing was actually scheduled to come out in 2016. And then they pushed it back to 2017, Oy. and it still wasn't ready. Oh, boy. And the latest was that it was supposed to come out 2018 as part of the fall, the fall releases for Xbox. That didn't happen. Thankfully, we do have a release date, and hopefully um, they can they can keep to that release date. The release date right now, it looks like it's coming out February 15th, 2019. So we're maybe about four months away from actually seeing Crackdown again. <laughs> well, hopefully all of that. Revi all of that pushback has allowed it to not become Crackdown 2. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, yeah. they've had plenty of time to work out the kinks. So we'll see what happens. Elias, is there anything on this list that strikes you as kind of cool? Well, for me, something that's not kind of cool. The Disney Plus TV streaming thing. Really? Okay. Now... When I started reading up on this, I saw I saw a paragraph, like one paragraph on an article about Alien, Predator, and Avatar. Now, Alien and Predator, the, you know Disney. Disney wouldn't want it to be rated R. Disney is for kids and like me. So adding Alien and Predator to it without making it rated R... That's a big jump. 
But well, I mean, they might not necessarily do it. I mean, it's not like they're making new content. Well, if they are, then uh, better not be not rated R. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that if it is going to be on the app, I, I think that they're just going to rerun, like, AVP and AVP Requiem, Alien Resurrection, all those. I don't think they're going to actually come out with new content. Yeah. But if they do, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's going to be... Well, I, I yeah. kind of agree with Metatron um, that I don't think that they're going to be redoing those franchises anytime soon. I think right now what it is is that they're going to have that as their content so yeah. that, you know, now they're they're trying to be like Netflix. They're trying to take over from Netflix. So it seems like with the Fox merger, um, now they have all this content to put on to their streaming service so that when people go over there, they'll be like, well, it's not just Marvel. It's not just Star Wars. We have all this other stuff. We've got Alien. We've got Predator. We've got Avatar. Fox. We've got The Simpsons. Simpsons, that's you know? true. So um, they have some old stuff to put out there. It seems like they have some new stuff to put out there, too. And, boy, does it seem like it's a lot. Um, we already know that they've announced The Mandalorian on the Star Wars side. We just got word this week that they are now going to be doing another live-action Star Wars show about Cassian Andor from Rogue One. Um, okay. Among the other things that they'll have on the streaming service, of course, Season 7 of The Clone Wars from Star Wars. And then on the Marvel side, we have shows from Loki, Scarlet Witch, a team-up show with Falcon and Winter Soldier. And then on the other side, which is just plain Disney stuff, a Mighty Ducks show, a Monsters, Inc. show, a Muppet show, a high school musical show, remakes oh of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The yes. Parent Trap, Peter Pan, Sword in the Stone, Lady and the Tramp. I mean... The list goes on and on of all the original content that's going to be on this. It's kind of scary how much it is. It's kind of scary because now it just shows you how big Disney has become in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. They've really, really taken over a lot of stuff. And going back to Elias' point, we always worry about the Disneyfication of franchises. So to his yeah. point... If they do ever decide to do an Aliens or a Predator, are we certain that they'll go all the way like they like before where Aliens was rated R, Predators was rated R? Or are they going to dial it back and make it PG-13 because they're Disney and because they want to get as many people watching the, the movies? What do you guys think? Yeah, um, I mean... I, I don't remember exactly was I feel like in relativity to the other movies, um A V P, the one where they go visit the temple, was that rated R also or was that PG thirteen? That's a good question. Let me find out. Because I'm not gonna lie, even if that was PG thirteen, because I know that the amount of gore was relatively tame in relation to the other movies. That wasn't actually a bad movie. I remember really enjoying that movie as a child. AVP, the 2004 movie, is, drumroll please, PG-13. Wow. Wow, okay. So, wow, right? That's actually, okay, so here's, here's the thing. 
if you can manage to pull off something in that realm, fine. But you also want, like, I, I remember watching Predators, the the one where they go, uh, where the Predators round up a bunch of Earth's most dangerous murderers, killers, mercenaries, and they stick them on a planet, right? The one with yep. Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Yeah. That movie was great because it had some really quality gore content. Like when we finally see a predator ripping out the spine from a dude and it not just being something that happens off screen. That was pretty cool to see. Didn't they they also blow up Larry Fishburne? Yes, they did. Like (laughs) totally blow him up? Yeah. Yeah, that was was pretty gory. Yeah. Yeah. So that, see, that's one of the, that's one of the great things about those movies. But to completely take it away, I feel like would be a dishonor to the movie, to the to, to yeah. those lines of movies because th- th- that's just what they are. That's what they started out as, and you, you don't really want to take that away. But if you if we're going for a compromise, AVP that the the, the Temple movie that is a good place if you want to add, if you want to make it PG thirteen. That is a direction I'd like to see it go. I mean, for a PG thirteen Alien versus Predator movie, yeah, that was that was actually pretty good, and you know that does that doesn't really make it seem bad for Disney Plus because mm-hmm. you know, like Andre said, if that was PG thirteen, then so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I agree. Now. We're really going to have a uh, an interesting thing because going into the rated R versus PG thirteen stuff, they're going. Fox is going to re-release Deadpool two. Oh boy! Oh, as a PG thirteen movie. Yikes! So ow ow ow. So what they're doing? It's pretty interesting what they're doing because they're actually going back and filming new scenes. What? Oh, my God. oh my God! I heard Princess Bride was mentioned in some of the new scenes. <laughs> I don't know what, what that means. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's going to be an interesting thing because now we've seen the success with Deadpool. It's a billion dollar franchise between the two movies, and um, it both movies were rated R, and there was success. Right? What's scary is now. Disney is going to see, because of what Fox is doing, how Deadpool can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're going to see what the audience reaction would be to a Deadpool in a PG-13 movie, which means they're going to scale back some of the, some of the, the language and maybe some of the gore and things of that nature. This is going to be a real test, and... What I'm afraid of is that they're going to take this character, which has done really well as a rated R character, and if it does well in the PG-13 land, um, maybe they go and say, hey, you know what? We don't have to make Deadpool rated R. Let's make him a PG-13 character. I mean, I can see AVP as PG-13, but Deadpool, that's that's on a different level. He's like totally crazy, right? Yeah, rated R as who knows. <laughs> it's like even more than I'm not even sure. 
It's even more than pi, the number thing. I whatever. agree. What I do you guess. think, Metatron? The only thing I'm going to say to that is Disney needs to really dial back this neutering thing that they've got going. Thank you. Like, well, I mean, I, I get it. I get why you want to do it, but I just really don't feel Deadpool is something that should be neutered. Well, to be to give them credit, this is Fox that's doing it, not Disney. Oh, so. But Fox may be looking at this and saying, you know what, before we actually sell all our stuff to Disney, let's try and revisit Deadpool one more time and see how much cash we can get from that for our executives before they leave. So um, to Disney's credit, it's not them that's doing this decision. Either way, that that's that is just to complete that is a completely garbage book. I'm sorry. Like you, you, you look at what's going on in the DC universe, goodness gracious. Now, uh, I, I just can't even. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't even. That, that move, that was the lowest IQ move. <laughs> I mean, if they're up. the IQ just, just went from 100 to zero. So I think now we're going to geek out over some genre news. Um... And I see on our rundown, we have some stuff about Godzilla. I think Metatron, that's your footprint. Yes, it is my arena. Let's go. Yes. And before we get into that, you may have heard a very peculiar name not too long ago. Someone by the name of Andre. Well, I have many names. Metatron, Andre, Master Sifo-Dyas. They're all names that, as an angel, I've come to accumulate over the years. Andre is just the name of my vessel, so don't worry about it, guys, if it seems like a continuity error. But anyway, in the in light of the news for Godzilla, aside from the legend verse, it appears, I don't know if it's a fan film, it looks like it's a legit Toho film. It's going to be featuring in 2019... From the footage that you see so far, it, the suit, because this is going to be one of those Godzilla movies. I know you guys are starting to get used to CGI, but those of you hardcore Goji fans, you you love seeing the suit. Don't even lie. The rubber suit? Yes, the rubber suit. Oh, boy. You know you love it. And now it's not just going to be any rubber suit. It's going to be... It's going to be... It's going to be... The it's it looks very similar. No, it's not even very similar. It is the original 1954 Godzilla suit. The Toho Godzilla. Yes. Way back when. Wait, the very first. Wow, that's interesting. And it looks like it's gonna have a Heisei setup. And when I say Heisei, I'm talking about like what mid 80s to 90s Godzilla. if you guys want to know more about the timeline breakdown, go check out a quick slice I did uh, a few a while back. But anyway, the reason why I say it has a high save vibe is because the way it's shot and the way his his dorsal fins, his spines light up, it's very reminiscent of the Heisei era. And not only that, he's fighting Mazer tanks, and Mazer tanks were. Predominantly featured in the Heisei era. You get a little bit of that in the Millennium series, but that's mainly a Heisei era flavor. 
So it looks like Toho has plans for Godzilla apart from the legendary universe, right? Yes. So it what my understanding is that Warner Brothers has control of the Godzilla brand up until I believe 2021. Is that really? Yeah, so um they're basically right now Toho is kind of like they can't they can't really do a Godzilla so maybe what that footage is is them ramping up production to see if maybe they can they can start the movie so that they can release release it in 2021. Mm. Um and it does appear that the last Toho movie that came out was that was Shin Shin Godzilla, which was released as Godzilla Resurrection in the States, right? Resurgence. Resurgence. Godzilla Resurgence. Godzilla Resurgence. So it doesn't look like they're going back to that one. Um, they did set that movie up as a sequel at the very end, right? Yeah, with the whole mini Godzilla spewing out of the tail, but getting frozen at the last second. Yeah, so it doesn't look like they're going to revisit that Godzilla, but it does look like they're going to be following Marvel's footsteps and creating a Godzilla cinematic universe. Am I right? Yes. That, wow. This is something that I really need in my life, guys. Like, you see how well Marvel does it? Godzilla has so much potential. And you know why? Because you know how I talk about you have the Showa era, the Heisei era, and the Millennium series. You can conglomerate that. Like, think of the, the way I think of those movies is like they're comics. There's so many stories you can draw from. And if you're making a cinematic universe, you can finally blend them all into one continuity. You don't got to worry about looking at three different, four or five different continuities anymore. And I think that would just be so amazing. And to see that possibility for a Marvel-esque continuity is like, it's, it really has me excited. Yeah, and especially with all the comics of Godzilla and Stuff like that, mm -hmm. yeah. like Godzilla um, in Hell. Yes, that was that was like, really good comic. Bro. Seeing that as in like a, a cinematic universe, that's like whoa. That's something they could do. Yeah, yep. mind blowing. Maybe. And the interesting thing, and I think it's going to make Metatron happy, is that they're looking to see if they can do a Godzilla movie every two years with the possibility that there is a preference for a yearly pace as well. So imagine a Godzilla every year. That now, that, that needs to just happen. That, that needs to just happen. And, oh my goodness. And is it, is it just going to be like, is it going to be a Godzilla versus setup? Or is it, they're going to be like solitary Rodan movies or solitary Mothra movies? Well, I, I think I think um, what they're trying to do again, kind of like what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done, is that they are going to feature certain um, titans, certain kaiju, yes, yeah, so all like by a, themselves. But they also have the option of saying, "Well, this is a Rodan film, but we're going to buddy him with Baragon," or "This is a King Ghidorah film, and we're going to have." Gaigan come out. So it, it, it really makes it really flexible in the type of movies you're going to get, the pairings you might get, and who knows, maybe we can get a King of All Monsters team up at the very end, kind of like Avengers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 
where we have a movie that features all the kaiju in this new Toho cinematic universe. Oh, boy. The boy is speechless right now, people. Oh, man. (laughs) Really speechless right now, people. Really speechless. So that's our Godzilla news. Um, Heading over, it looks like Venom's doing really well in the box office. And that might be a problem. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, just even thinking about it rationally, Venom, I'm so happy that it did well. I'm happy that I enjoyed the movie. It was a really great movie. The way they put the story together, given the comic, um, just the way they worked with the comic material, it actually surprised me. Were you happy that there was no Spider-Man in the Venom movie? I had that reservation. I won't lie. I had that reservation. But eventually, I kind of got over it. I'm not going to lie. Because they actually did a they did a pretty good job with it. I'll, I'll su- suffice it to say. Yeah, for a Venom movie without Spider-Man, that did great. Yeah. Yeah, it was for me, it was a big, dumb movie. But it was fun. Um, the, the character that really, really sold it for me was how Tom Hardy handled both Eddie Brock and Venom. Um, <laughs> one of the highlights was him jumping into the lobster tank oh. <laughs> toward the very beginning. Um, it was a movie for me that had problems. Um, I didn't particularly care for the end fight. You had two characters that are dressed in all black fighting in a nighttime venue, so I made it difficult to see who was fighting who. Well, Riot, sorry to cut you off there, Riot is more of a brown they're very dark characters set against okay. a dark yeah, background. Yeah, there, there's that. So, but I think what they were really going for there was because in the I don't know if you remember the old Spider, the old animated Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. They had a really nice shot that I really enjoyed. That if you remember, if you guys have ever seen it, Venom in that iteration had a red and blue contrast. And that's one of the the things I liked about the imagery of this movie is that they revisited that. Could they have done it in another scene, like towards the end? Fine. But I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, if if I'm going to piggyback off of what Walt is saying, I think that maybe a scene like that would have been better served at the end when there wasn't anything important going on and maybe have the final fight be in a daytime setting so we could better see our... Adversaries, yeah, I, I can see where their concerns with that. Well, mm-hmm. it's a very successful film, regardless of how we look at it. Well, at least how I look at it. Um, and so the question is, is that a good thing for the Spider-Verse over on in Sony, or is it a bad thing for us fans? The problem with this is it was successful. And that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. It's a good thing because, hey, we got a successful Venom movie. The bad thing is it makes Sony more inclined to keep it. And if they can keep up this mean streak, they'll come out with even more stuff that we maybe might not want to see. but Or maybe we might want to see. But that means that it might not go over to the Marvel Universe because they're so invested in telling these stories. I mean, what? We're getting Michael Morbius soon, right? Mm-hmm. And also wow. Craven the Hunter. Yep. Wow. If they do those two well, hey, 
they, they're not going to want to stop. They're going to want to do more. So there's the reservation with that as far as I'm rationalizing. What do you think, Elias? Um, well, I guess, yeah, like you said, it's a good thing and a bad thing because it's, like you said, this is pretty much what you said, but it's good because we had a successful Venom's, Venom movie without Spider-Man, which is pretty good. But it's bad for Sony because it they want to keep on going with movies, and that stops them from heading over to the MCU. Mm-hmm. That's very true. They, like, they might see that it's a, a profitable franchise for them, starting with Venom, moving on with Morbius, moving on with Kraven the Hunter. Um, Silver and Black was uh, a movie that they've been trying to make. I don't know what the, the status of it is right now. That's with like Silver Sable and Black Cat, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So they're building a cinematic universe outside of the MCU with Spider-Man villains. And remember, they loaned Spider-Man to the MCU for, I believe, only four films. Oh, so they can just so they can always that retract entirely. him back and bring Spider-Man back into the Sonyverse, Yikes. so to speak. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Um, like I said, Venom was a, a pretty good movie. It, it was a movie that looks like it was stuck back in the '90s, to be honest. Um, but it was an enjoyable movie. It's just um, and it's making a ton of money. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe Sony keeps this, and maybe they bring Spider-Man back into that. I just don't see how they go forward, especially with Craven, where it seems like they were trying to adapt Craven's Last Hunt, and that you can't do Craven's Last Hunt if you don't have Spider-Man. Well, here's actually, I'm not saying that it's good that they do this, but. Technically, you can replicate it because what we've seen from Venom so far is that he's a very Spider-Man-esque character. So are you and saying... If he's a very Spider-Man-esque character, they can make the technical argument that, hey, this is a very Spider-Man-like character. Maybe Craven doesn't come to the States because of Spider-Man. Maybe he comes to the States for Venom. That's an interesting theory. So. Yeah. But would we really want that? I'm not sure because I, I think the whole the whole premise with Craven the Hunter is he's going after Spidey and Spidey, you know, at, at his core, he's just a teenage boy. And I think that makes it a little bit a little bit harder to take based on what happens in that storyline. If if it's Eddie Brock, Eddie Brock's kinda crazy. He's kind of a loser, so you know you're not going to be as emotionally invested into that storyline. Um, but hey, you never know. We always thought that Venom wouldn't work without Spider-Man, and mm -hmm. it seems like we were wrong on that. So exactly. um, we'll see what happens. Um, next up, of course, we got to go into Star Wars. <laughs> it wouldn't be a pop culture over pizza podcast if we didn't talk about Star Wars, right? So we've got a couple of theories, a couple of leaks. Um, the first one is a leak which has a couple of people worried. Um, Me among them. Yeah. Me too. So one of the biggest criticisms for Force Awakens was that it, it, it kind of mirrored Star Wars, the original Star Wars New Hope 
storyline a little too much, uh, right down to the big space station that they have to blow up at the end. And so that movie was helmed by J.J. Abrams, and um, it was a fun film, but again, it mirrored a lot of the beats of the original Star Wars New Hope movie. J.J. Abrams is back to do Episode Nine. And so now the the newest leak, the newest rumor that is out there is that episode nine will have another Death Star-like super weapon. What do you guys think about that? Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm getting a little bit worn out of Death Star one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred. I mean, you can make it work, but do like it's like the Venom thing. Do you really want to make it work? Because, like, it's just, I mean, it's just not, it's not, like, I, I I have my criticisms. The One of the only criticisms I have with Last Jedi, I love that movie. But one of the criticisms I have of that was that Snoke's ship looked so weird. But, but, it was an interesting, I, I don't want to call a ship a villain, but villain in the sense that it Death Star is mobile, but it's not as mobile, and that makes it a little bit less threatening. But to have something as big as Snoke's ship, but to have a somewhat similar artillery, it's a heavy, heavy artillery that if they stopped, they were gone. I, that's one thing I liked about the movie. It kept the first, res- I mean, not the first resistance, the resistance on their toes. And that's that's one of the things I liked. But now we're going back to a Death Star weapon. How many times until they get it through their heads that maybe this isn't a good schematic? Well, yeah. it, it seems like it's not going to truly be like a planet-type orb uh, super weapon. Um, the rumor has it that there is a scene, well, concept art of Kylo Ren looking over some super weapons, and there are some of them that are cylindrical in shape with a huge engine and a super weapon on each side. Um, a lot of fans have noted that this looks like the world devastators from the extended universe. Um, and so <clears throat> I did a little digging because I'm not too familiar about world devastators. And so the world devastators, they there's a question of whether they're deadlier than the Death Star, but they are more efficient. What the Death Star could do was just blow up worlds. What the world devastators do is that it targets resources of a world for the Empire's benefit. So what the devastator would normally do was land on the surface of a planet. It would use its tra- uh, tractor beam projectors to literally tear the planet apart beneath it. So they were planet killers, but they were kind of mining resources from the planet as they were blowing it up. Wow. So it's not truly a Death Star. It seems like it's a Death Star Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where it, it kind of blows up the planet, but takes the resources and, and uses it for the Empire's uh, sake, you know, and stuff. So, uh, does that change your opinion on what this super weapon could look like and how you feel about it in the new movie? What do you think, Elias? 
Um, no. You still I, don't want the super weapon? Nah. Well, maybe. I guess it could be cool if they added that, but I'm not too sure, actually. Okay. So, like, adding a weapon... It's so, like a ship. Yeah, you add... I mean, it the pretty much what it does, that's pretty cool. Mining resources while blowing up the planet, that's benefiting the Empire. Yeah. And the First Order, in this case. Yeah. And the, the, the First Order. Mm-hmm. While benefiting the Empire... The first order again. <laughs> <laughs> the first order is benefiting itself to benefit itself. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's pretty good. I that could uh, for a, a super weapon, basically. That's actually not that bad, and I wouldn't be too mad. I wouldn't be too too mad if they added it because, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's not like the Death Star or the Star Killer base. Nothing it'll like be it. something different. Yeah. But it'll give it'll give the resistance a big enough threat. Yeah. So that they have to fight the first order and kind of beat their butts down, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Um I, I won't lie. It's devious. I, I like that. And like if they can do that, I too wouldn't be too mad. But, I mean, me personally, I think it would be cool if Kylo tapped into more Force-sensitive powers to maybe not level a planet, but pose a big enough threat. Like, one of the things that I liked about Darth Nihilus was that he could not only drain all the life force from, like, a planet, or, no, I don't think that was him. That was actually Valkorian, right? Yes, the Sith Emperor. Yes, but I, I honestly, I just want to see someone smash a moon with the force into a planet. That that's yeah. one of the things Darth Nihilus did do, and that that that'd be pretty cool. Like maybe not have a weapon that's mechanical for once. Why not a weapon that's a purely force weapon? Yes. Yeah. That's what that's what I think Star Wars really needs. That's that's my thing. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, that's actually a pretty good idea. Um, that's canon uh, with Valkorian, Nihilus. Well, no, it's legends. Are, those are legends, yeah. True. Those are yeah. things that came before Disney. Yeah. yeah. But here's uh, the thing. You could technically work it in because if we're really going to go the Darth Vader is a Sith Revenant route then maybe he can impart some, I don't know, extra-worldly knowledge to Kylo Ren to maybe give him a little boost with his conquests. You never know. You never know. So, mind you, these weapon, super weapon, are just rumors. So, um, and J.J. Abrams is notorious for keeping his set very private. Um, So, we'll see. We'll see in about a year's time because... Star Wars Episode Nine doesn't come out until December of 2019, so we still have 13 months to speculate. Mm-hmm. But it's not that long either, so awesome. True. Yeah. We also have another theory, which connects Snoke to a key detail in the prequel trilogy. 
Yes, if I remember, well, I don't know. Are you talking about what I'm talking about? I think we might be talking about the same thing. Snoke is Plagueis. Yes, that was it. That's oh. what I wanted to do. Because, like, I, I wanted that from the jump, first of all. Because it makes so much more sense if you're going to weave in a character. Well, first of all, who is Darth Plagueis, you might be wondering. For those of you who are not too well-versed on this... Darth Plagueis was mentioned in Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, when Palpatine has a sit-down with Annie, and he talks about basically the thing that turns him to the dark side. Hey, I can save Padme. Oh, how can you do that? Oh, well, my master did this. Well, he didn't say my master, but Mm -hmm. the implication was that he was the apprentice, because we all know Shreve Palpatine is Darth Sidious. Mm -hmm. So... One of the things that Darth Plagueis was noted for doing that he kind of hinted at in his story was that he can manipulate life. Now, what could this mean? Well, this could mean that if you can manipulate life, you can create, well, sorry, you can create life. But what I'm really getting at here is that he can create bodies because I don't know if this is canon, but in one of the books or the comics, it was both him and Darth Sidious who actually made Anakin in his mother's womb using the Force. Really? I did not know about that. I I think that was an actual thing that they did. I don't know if it's still canon or not. But basically, they were trying to um, tailor the story of the, the prophecy of the Chosen One to their benefit. But the Force said, no, why don't we do this instead? And they... Instead of it being a dark side being, purely, it was generally Anakin, who was not all too bad, but he was not all too good either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So part of part of the theory that uh, has been floating around here is that, um, just like Metatron said, you know, Plagueis had such a knowledge of the Force that he can use the midichlorians to keep people from dying. And so um, Shreve Palpatine, in his devious ways, found a way to kill his master in his sleep. Mm-hmm. So the theory goes is that um, a lot of people have noted that Snoke uh, is a pretty ugly dude. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> what they're trying to say is that maybe what happened was is that... Um, the Emperor Palpatine, when he killed him in his, in his sleep, didn't actually kill him. Oh, Plagueis yeah. was actually able to keep himself sort of alive, but not all the way. And that's what's created his kind of zombie-like appearance where he's like all messed up and stuff like that. So, you know, whatever, whatever it is that Palpatine did messed him up body-wise but yet he was able to manipulate the midichlorians to keep him alive, granted, in a messed up body. But that is that is the theory that's floating around. And you couple that with the fact that Andy Serkis, around the time that they're filming Episode Nine, actually canceled an appearance, which leads a lot of people to think that he is going to make an appearance in Episode Nine as well. So... You know, the theory, again, it's a theory, and we've heard a lot of different theories that kind of make sense. 
And again, this is J.J. Abrams. He doesn't let anybody know what's going on on the set. Um, he's very secretive. So this is another one of these theories where you kind of kind of take it. You got to take it with a grain of salt. But it kind of makes sense if you want to look at it this way. Yeah. And just one more thing before we wrap this little thing up. It's also very opportune because what because originally, if I remember this correctly, the whole plan to create a clone army to use said clone army in a war and for that war to eventually say, oh, hey, we're starting to win. And so they get all lax and then the clones turn on the Jedi. That was all originally Plagueis' plan. Mm -hmm. But the Emperor went and usurped that. So what I find interesting is that when the Emperor died in Episode Six. It could be him reclaiming his plan. Well, not reclaiming his plan, but like, you know, the Emperor laid out, laid out the terrain already. Everything is exactly how he wanted it. And then when he died, that is the perfect way to come back. Because now he doesn't have to worry about a pesky Sith Lord getting in his way. Because he already killed him, quote unquote, the first time. Mm -hmm. So now there's definitely nothing that can stop him. Okay, mm -hmm. that makes sense. There is also another rumor that um, st this is Star Wars meets Doctor Who. Matt oh Smith, who is the 11th Doctor in the Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, franchise, I read about this. And Elias's favorite Doctor in the Doctor Who franchise. Yep. Um, he's rumored that he was cast in Star Wars Episode Nine, and a lot of the people are theorizing that he will be playing a young Palpatine in the movie. Wow. Okay. So that could also it also blends into this theory of Snoke returning in episode nine. Maybe we have some scenes with him and Palpatine and maybe that's the reveal where we see him as Plagueis. Did he really die? Did he really die? Or did he? So it'll be interesting to find out. And again, we are going to have to wait until December of next year before all these theories are put to rest. Uh -huh. And now the last thing that we will be covering in this little spot of the podcast is Netflix related. So they're cleaning shop with very, very with shows with great potential. Iron Fist ended on a good note, but sadly, as we all know, season one didn't do very well, so yeah. that contributed to its loss. Luke Cage was doing very got was doing very good. Yeah. That got gone. But what's coming in its place? Altered Carbon Anime. I've never actually seen the show, but Walt says it's good, so I'll take his word for it. Me mm -hmm. too. But Pacific Rim is getting an anime that Wow. For me, that's like, no. Well, you know, Pacific Rim, I mean, I'm not too sure about that. It has cons and pros, but, like, um, it's kind of like um, Gundam. Like, yeah, I, I could see that. It It's kind of, like, related to Robotech. And, mm -hmm. I mean, I can see it being an anime. Yeah, anime Maybe. traditionally loves their mechs. Yeah. So putting in Jaegers in their place seems like a very Japanese anime-ish thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but what what are they gonna what are they gonna do with it? No, we don't know. Yeah. No. The, the series is coming from two guys, uh, Craig Kyle, who was originally attached to Thor Ragnarok, oh. wow. and Greg Johnson, who did the animated version of X Men Evolution. So, um, what is that? What X Men Evolution? That is a uh, an, a cartoon series. I believe it came out in the 2000s. I believe that was the one where Wolverine was the leader of the X-Men. No, I've oh. never heard of that, actually. I'm yeah, surprised. me neither. Well, there, there is a show. We can, I can, I'll check up on it later on to see exactly what the specifics are. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like it's going to star... It, the, the show is going to be about a teenage boy and a younger sister who take control of of an abandoned Jaeger as they go across the country looking for their parents. So it looks like it's going to live in the Pacific Rim universe, but it's not going to be using the main characters of the Pacific Rim universe. Yeah. And it does look like it's going to trend a little bit more toward the kid-friendly side, given the fact that we're talking about a teenage boy and a girl looking for their parents. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It can all, that can also uptrend to the adult side also. Japanese anime traditionally have been more adult fair. Yeah. So um I I'm gonna buy it. I think I think um I think it it has potential to be a pretty good pretty good show. Like I said, Japanese anime, they love their mechs and yep. putting in a Jaeger in place of a mech and just going with it and including monsters and Big monster Jaeger fights. I think it works well in the Japanese anime vein. Yeah. I mean, that story as a concept sounds interesting, but yeah, I can see where you can go with that. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure when exactly that thing is coming out. Um, I do know that there have been talks of a Pacific Rim animated series from Guillermo del Toro ever since the original movie came out. Really? Yep. So this kind of goes back to 2004, I believe, is the first whoa the whoa. first uh, iteration of Pacific Rim. Right? Wow, <laughs> that's a long time to get picked up. Yeah. So hey, you never know. Hey. We'll see. Like I said, it may be it may be actually a, a really really good show, um, but we won't know until it actually comes out. And I don't see I don't see a, a release date yet. So I I think they're still in in post pre production, you know, trying to figure out what what they're going to do and probably storyboarding it and the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to take it back on X Men Evolution. X Men Evolution is not the one that has Wolverine as the leader of the group. That actually was another show called Wolverine and the X-Men. This one um, came out. It had four seasons in two, uh, starting in November 4th of 2000. And instead of having the X-Men as adults, it featured the X-Men as teenagers. So, which, you know what? It kind of makes sense because if um, the Pacific Rim anime is going to feature two teenage stars, right? As yeah. the leads, um, it kind of makes sense that the person that did it before has kind of like that, you know, experience in telling teenage stories. So, gotcha. yeah, but 
But I don't see it as a bad thing or a good thing either. Okay. But, yeah. Are you excited to see a Pacific Rim anime? Because I know you love your anime. You're yeah. out, of, out of all of us here, I used to watch a lot of anime way back when. You know, I was I grew up with Dragon Ball Z. I grew up with Akira, Vampire Hunter D, um, Ghost in the Shell, Robotech. You're more into the newer stuff, right? Like Seven Deadly Sins, yeah, Death Note, um, Naruto. I think you watch a little bit of that. I know you're yeah. watching the Dragon Ball Super TV show. Yeah. So you're more the anime person here. How do you feel about watching Pacific Rim as an anime? Pacific Rim. As an anime, it has potential because, like you said, anime max are like big in Japan. Yeah, they go together, right? Yeah, Gundam, uh, Evangelion, like I can see it as an anime. So I'm, um, I think that might be a good show, movie. All right. But uh, sounds cool. Yeah. Like I said, I'll go for it. I'll check it out. So going into our last segment, we're going to talk about some stuff that we've been watching um, over the last couple of weeks. Um, I, for one, have finally finished Daredevil Season 3. I know Daredevil has been out for quite a bit, and both Metatron and Elias has seen it with me. Um, I'm going to say this. Season 3 is an amazing season, Uh, probably the best season in the Netflix Marvel Universe. Um, this one, one of the criticisms that the Netflix Marvel Universe has is that um, the very beginning of the shows tend to be a little bit slower and they kind of ramp up toward toward the end. Daredevil season three kind of starts pretty pretty good and you know it just keeps going. There are a couple episodes that they kind of slow down just to give you a couple origin stories. Um, they gave an origin story for Karen Page. Mm-hmm. They gave mm-hmm. an origin story for Agent Point Dexter. Uh, we're not going to get into spoilers here today. Um, I think we'll we'll talk about that with the bigger group when they all come back. But I'm going to say this. Season one, it had its hallway fight. Season two had its stairway fight. Season three has its pris- prison fight. And let me tell you something, folks. That prison fight is fantastic. It is about a 10 to 15 minute one take. And so just to let you guys know what a one take is for people who don't know what it is, it's basically the director and the cameraman taking one camera and shooting the scene straight without any cuts, without any breakaways. It's just the actor and the stuntman going at it and doing the scene if they mess it up, they got to start it all over again. And give credit to Charlie Cox. Give credit to the stuntmen. They were the ones that went up over to uh, Netflix and said, hey, we want to see if we can do a one take. They, The executives were a little bit reticent in doing it, but the end result is a fantastic scene. And I, like I said, you got to give credit to both Co- Charlie Cox and the stuntmen because you can see that they really put their all into the scene and what you got was pure gold. Um, I've always held the Banshee TV series on Cinemax as kind of the high watermark for um, fight choreography in a TV show. 
this season comes really, really close to it. You know, you had the prison fight, and then you had the fight at the very end. Um, and oh. there were there were some other fights during that where it kind of looked comic-y, comic booky, where you have a certain character throwing office supplies to our hero. Um, <laughs> and so in the hands of a lesser choreographer, that could be really bad. But you know what? When you saw it on, on, on the big screen here, well, the little screen here, um, and you saw... You saw how they did it. It didn't feel gimmicky. It didn't feel like a comic book. It felt like there was some real danger as that certain character was throwing staplers at Daredevil and stuff. So, um, and like I said, the acting has been was great. Like I said, Charlie Cox was very good. Deborah Ann Wall, who played Karen Page, was very good. Vincent D'Onofrio. Who played Kingpin? He's back for season three. Dude was fantastic. Yes, you know, um, there were certain scenes where he was he was with other characters, and for the most part, Kingpin he plays Kingpin as a very calm, very calculating, very cool character. Yeah, and certain characters were able to push his buttons, and. The, the way he played those scenes where you can see the rage just bubbling underneath his skin <laughs> and he just wants to reach out and just destroy everything with his hands and him struggling to keep his composure, the way that Vincent D'Onofrio played that was classic. It was really, really good. Mm-hmm. So um, I would highly recommend season three. Um, even if you haven't seen the first couple of seasons, Netflix did a really good thing. Um, right before season one, they give you kind of like a three minute recap, Mm -hmm. um, of everything that's happened before season three. And it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and you'll get a good sense of what it is. And so watching that, I think you'll be pretty good in watching season three. I can't really tell you for sure because we pretty much watched every single season of every single show. Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Punisher, Defenders. So we're pretty invested and we pretty know, we pretty much know exactly what happened beforehand. So, but I do think that if you're not very familiar with the show, just watching that little recap will get you back into it. And the show pretty much itself is self-contained from the rest of the Marvel Cinematic, uh, the, excuse me, the Marvel Netflix universe. There's no, there's hardly any mentions of any of the characters. I think they mentioned Jessica Jones by name once in the show. Yeah, I think also Luke Cage at one point. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they, they really don't reference the other characters very much. Um, it does follow Frank Miller's Born Again storyline very loosely. Um, one of my regrets is that I actually know a little bit about that storyline. So there are certain things that happen during the season where it's like, oh, I saw that coming. Um, I wish I, I will. I was a little bit more ignorant of the storyline because then I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it even that much more. But I still enjoyed the season overall. Um, what do you guys think of season three? I think um, a character you guys should really look out for that I think was... I honestly thought he was going to be annoying, 
but the character of Rain Nadine, look out for him. His story is an amazing one. Mm-hmm. And a tragic one also. Yes. Yeah. And a tragic one. To be honest, yeah, that was a really good story. Um, and the thing that I liked most about season three was, I think I've mentioned this before in uh, another slice, I think, mm-hmm. uh, was that it's not some of most of some of it was an action, like like some of it was Matt Murdock, not just not just Daredevil. It was it was Matt Murdock and his life and mm-hmm. what's going on there, like um with uh. So what you're trying yeah. to say is that. The story didn't need to be action 24-7. Even the parts where there was no action at all, it was just completely phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that also. Mm-hmm. And the story of Matt Murdock on how he's deconstructed in that show um, from the lowest point that he was at to where he ended up at the very end, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what you're talking about also, about how his character grew during the, during the show. During the season. Yeah. And he didn't have to be Daredevil because Matt Murdock as a character was interesting enough by himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Yep. So that's season three of Daredevil. What do you got, Metatron? Well, for one, uh, this is just going to be a quick aside. I've been catching up on DC's Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow. (laughs) Honestly, the only I'm I'm gonna be honest with you guys. The only reason that I legitimately wanted to catch up to Legends of Tomorrow, it, it's good if you guys are into that. But me, it is all about Matt Ryan's Constantine. Ever since his show on NBC, it was NBC, right? Yes, it was. On NBC aired, I just fell in love with him as a character, and to see that character. Like, I'll just take it wherever I can. And so that's basically why I've been going into Legends. Arrow, I, Arrow's always been my favorite out of all of them. And the the reason why I'm predominantly watching that is because Deathstroke was back. I'm kind of a season behind, so I'm still working my way up there. But, yeah, that's predominantly why I'm catching up to Arrow, other than the fact that it's my favorite uh, CWDC show. But on to my main, which is Supernatural Season 14, Episode, what, 5? Whew! What an episode. First of all... I think you've been a little bit down on this season so far. Am I, am I incorrect in that, or...? Well, it's had... It, I have my criticisms of it thus far. But I think we're really starting to make a comeback here. Cool. Wow. Yes, because first things first, we got to see an interesting new thing about an old monster. And I, I really liked what they did there, especially with what the main villain of the season has been doing and seeing how that's affected these monsters. It's pretty cool. And then, honestly, here's the most the most important part of the episode the most important thing. I think my theory is correct. Let me just put that out there. My theory is correct. 
one of the main characters is a Trojan horse. Because, see, what this monster does is it preys on your fears. Uh, it just messes with your mind, right? So it's going into your mind. What it did was it went into one of the main characters' mind. He's like, oh, what's your worst fear? I'm going to pull it out. And then he, like, completely locks up and freezes. And I was wow. just like, what? <laughs> so what that basically told me was that whoever is in this main character <laughs> is definitely not gone. He is still there. And those of you who are watching, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm not going to say it because this is a spoiler-free mini-review. But basically... His story is not over. Thank God. I have an idea of who it is, but I'm not going to say. I think I'm I'm trying to catch up on Supernatural myself. Um, I think we're up to season... Season 8. Season 8, so I'm still quite a ways away. So oh, you're getting there. You're getting there. Yeah. You're getting there. It's, it's a long climb. It's a long climb. So... But I'm glad. I'm glad to see that this season seems to be picking up. Um, I know Metatron here had some criticisms before, but it seems like he was thoroughly happy with this last episode this week. Yes. Yes. So, and the smile on his face says it all. Yep. So, moving on to Elias now. Elias, I know that we've been watching. Um, the Haunting of Hill House. The Haunting of Hill House. Guys. Another Netflix original. It's a, a series that came out when? In October, I think? Uh, it came out at October 12th. Okay. On okay. October 12th. So we've been slowly watching that. I think we're up to uh, episode four, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We're not that far, but we're getting there. Okay, so tell us what The Haunting of Hill House is about, Elias. So the basic summary is when a, the, the family... Or the Crane family are flashing between past and present, and the haunt the their haunting memories of their old home, and the terrifying events that drove them from it. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about, there was an. <laughs> That's yeah. Okay. Um. Apparently, there was an actual haunted house. They didn't film it there, thanks God. But okay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I don't believe in ghosts, but apparently they. it said that there was an actual haunted house. So Henry Thomas, for those of you who haven't watched uh, The Haunting of Hill House, he's the father of the children, but when, in the past. Right, because um, in this show... They play with time yeah. pretty well. So there's flashbacks flash. and flash to the present and flash 90 minutes before, 90 days before, years before. They play with time very well with this show. So he is the father when, uh, all, when all the main characters are kids. Yeah. And they're living in the haunted house. Of the, of the five kids. Mm-hmm. Luke, Theo, uh... Shirley and Steve and um no Nellie Nellie mm-hmm. so um he when they were when he was 22 years 20 20 years ago 
he his he wow. <laughs> Don't Tom, worry. Henry Thomas moved in to a home at LA with his mother. And in real life. In real life. Okay. And his mother had claimed to see a, a male ghost in a suit. A real ghost. A real ghost. Oh boy, okay. And then six months later, I guess they must have hired a repairs repairman. And he claimed that he had saw the same ghost. Oh, wow. So Henry Thomas has a little experience in ghosts, which makes him pretty good to actually play the role of the father in this show, right? Yeah. That's kind of creepy, if you ask me. True. That is. Well, you cool. know what we say on in the Supernatural Universe here, salt and burn the bones. <laughs> <laughs> Next up. For 43 hidden ghosts. True, it is true that the bent neck lady is terrifying in this Netflix original. Yeah, but when they were weaving Netflix original, it was through past and present. It was bringing viewers into a new world of hidden ghosts where viewers had to find them and like they hit it so well that you would probably even have to pause it just to see it. Mm-hmm. It's and like even, a hidden game. And even when we did pause it, um, it was difficult to find them. Also, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And we we knew where they were because we, to be honest, we were cheating. Yeah, we kind of we kind of googled to see exactly where they were, and even with that, we couldn't find them sometimes. Yeah. So, um, some of them are like really blink. Blink your eyes and you'll miss it. Yep. And some of them are there, like the bald guy, the bald man. Yeah. They and they even have names, like the man in the hall. The um, man in the hallway. The or bald the man. doorway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's kind of like a little game where um, I I don't know if I'm gonna do it at the very beginning when we watch the show first time because I actually want to I don't want to focus on finding the ghosts yeah. yeah at the expense of watching the show and the story and missing out on some vital points but maybe on a rewatch um it'll probably be a fun game to see who can find the ghosts because some of the ghosts are hard yeah, yeah. you know like really hard i think one of the episodes it had like nine hidden ghosts and we were only able to find like what two or three of them yeah two two of them right it was and two I, I think I saw a third one, but I'm not even too sure. Yeah, so Maybe it's... That was just a statue. It's a cool little addition to the show. Um, but like I said, I, I think I would I would only want to do it on a rewatch because the show is pretty deep and dense as it is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you miss one thing, it, it could be a vital thing that you missed for the story going forward. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about how is it as a horror series? Is it scary? Is it creepy? Or oh god, <laughs> scary! You... Very guys, scary. I'm I'm gonna let you in on a little inside fact about your angel here. I like gore movies. I don't like movies that legitimately require me to before I go to sleep at night watch like 50 episodes of Tom and Jerry just so that I can go to sleep. <laughs> this is one of those shows. That makes me want to watch 50 episodes of Tom and Jerry so that I can go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like the first episode, there's, oh my 
God. Yeah. Just the, the, they play with sound so well. And just like, the, there are even parts where I thought it was coming. And I'm normally good at pointing out when it's coming. Yeah. But there are points where it's like, hey, it might be here. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cower away now. Oh, wait, it's not happening. Oh, my God, it happened. Yeah. This is what, oh. But even if you're not looking at, even if you're like, oh, well, I've seen other horror movies like this, uh, whatever. But I generally think it's horror. Yeah. It's, it's a good horror. But what I'm invested in with this is the story. I've really started to fall in love with the characters that we've seen so far. And it's because of how they play with time. Yeah. And I really love that about it. Reminds me of this book that I'm reading currently in, uh, in, uh, cause I, I go to college. So like even angels need to, even angels like me need to learn. Okay. So stay, stay in school kids. <laughs> you need wisdom. Yes. And in that book, just the way they dealt with time, it really reminded me of this show. And it really like just seeing that in a cinematic view, it was also really fun to see. And when Metatron was talking about jump scares, um, uh, what I know is that uh, uh, Mark, uh, uh, Mike, Mike Flanagan. Yeah, Mike. Sorry, That's Mike okay. Flanagan. Who is um, he? He's the director of this show, mm -hmm. and he made movies. And one of them I remember was Ouija, Origin of Evil, which I know. Yes, I, I hate. I, <laughs> oh my god, we haven't seen that yeah. movie because you don't want to see that movie. Yeah. Because I can't take all that contortion crap, man. <laughs> I really can't. It's like my kryptonite. Yeah, and he made um, Oculus, Absentia, Hush, Before I Wake, and Gerald's Game. There's a lot of good movies on that list. Yeah. I personally. I'm a big fan of the movie Hush. Me too. Oculus, um, I actually saw that. That was pretty good. Oculus is a good uh, good movie. And Gerald's Game is another good movie that is a Netflix original that has Carla Gugino, who, is, who plays the mom in Haunting of Hill House. Oh. So I guess he's, he, he likes working with her because he brought her back for this show. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a pretty scary show. Yeah. I will say that. There's a there's a lot of points to what Metatron was saying where you're expecting something to happen and then it doesn't happen. And then when you least expect something to happen, guess what? Boom, it's in your face. Yeah. So it, it does it does play with the conventional jump scares. Um, and it tricks you in ways where you think that you're expecting to see something scary and nothing happens on it, but it just keeps you in that moment of dread where it's like, oh my gosh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Oh, no, it didn't. And it happened. Then it happens all of a sudden without without warning. That so, actually scared me. <laughs> and, and it does play well with time going back and forth, um, and it does do a good job of fleshing out the characters and um, so, you know, it starts, it starts with the family and what they do is they kind of, they're kind of like flipping houses. So they go into a house, they rebuild it, they fix it up and then they sell it. 
And so now they've gone into this house, the Hill House, which was abandoned, and they're fixing it up, trying to fix it up. And what they do is they live in the house. Unbeknownst to them, it's a haunted house. Yeah. Speaking of haunted, um, there are two main ghosts that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. Um, When Nell was younger, she had always been scared of the bent neck lady who would always come for her, um, mostly when she was uh, sleeping. Mm -hmm. And, like, there was this one time where I shouldn't spoil it. Don't spoil it, though. Yeah. But Luke also, this is kind of spoilers. So... Um, Luke... At the age of six, he was given a hat by his parents when they were going through their stuff to sell because they were tr- they are trying to sell the house or whatever stuff was in it mm-hmm. to be- get a better house, I believe. Yep. And so what happened was they were going through the stuff and they found a hat. So Luke decided he, he would keep the hat, but that didn't go so well because at the middle of the night he woke up to um the owner of the hat coming to reclaim the hat yeah and scarring the kid for life yes that happens yeah and yeah very creepy scene very creepy scene that scares me that sure that was creepy and just like the way he actually made his entrance i'm not going to spoil it for you guys but like wow yeah. <laughs> Just watch. You'll see what we're talking about. A ghost needs his hat, though. You can't. Yeah. You can't stop fashion, even if you're dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. But so. sadly, this show is ending. Um, in an interview with EW, Mike Flanagan said he hasn't heard from uh, Netflix, Paramount, or Amblin if they wanted a second season. No. That's sad. Yeah. So. He said that he was concerned with this. He was concerned with this, the story, and he, quote unquote, this, the story of the Crane family is told. It's done. Flanagan says. Okay. So, yeah, he also imagined that this could have gone in many directions. Like, like um, he could have added more to this, but. So it's that, interesting yeah. because it sounds like they could have made this into like an anthology series where it's different families coming into the Hill House yeah. and being haunted in different ways. Yeah. Um, so that would have been interesting, but we still don't know if we have a season two, I guess. Yeah. We might, though. Okay. But we're not so sure right now. It's just up in the air. Yep. It'd be a shame if we don't see a season two because the season, the first season of Haunting of Hill House is pretty, pretty good. As we've seen it so far. Yep. Yep. So we're only four episodes in. I think it's what a total of ten. Eleven. Eleven episodes. I believe it's eleven. So we're we're getting there, um, and once we finish, we'll come back and we'll give you guys a, a pretty decent recap and give us give you guys our thoughts on how the entire season went. But four seasons, four four episodes into the season, I think we're pretty we're pretty invested. I think it's a it's a really good show. Obviously, very scary if you guys are watching Tom and Jerry shows afterwards. <laughs> I can agree with that. So, um, there we go. And with that being said, I think we're going to wrap up our episode of the Pop Culture Over Pizza podcast. 
Um, I think we've covered a number of topics here, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we're on most podcast platforms. I think the only one that we're not on is on iTunes, but we're working to see if we can get on there to make it a little bit easier for you guys to be able to stream us and catch us on our little geeky discussions over pizza. And we actually ended it up today with some eggnog. So, you know, just changing things up here, right? Yep. So anyway, my name is Walt, and I'm going to be signing off. May the force be with you. And as the Metatron, I shall be bidding the adieu. Good night, good day, wherever you are. Adieu. To you and you and you. All <laughs> right. And Elias would like to say one more thing before we sign off. Happy Veterans Day. All right. Happy Veterans Day, and again, to all those soldiers and veterans out there, thank you for your service. Enjoy your day, and we'll see you next time.